Welcome to another edition of Cloud Unfiltered. This is a very, very special edition for multiple reasons. Uh, I am hosting live from KubeCon in Chicago. And I have this guy that uh, may sound familiar. His name is Justin Barksdale. I don't know why that sounds familiar, but I feel like it sounds similar to somebody who used to host this with me. I used to be here. Used to be here. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for having me back. Yeah, yeah. No, so, you know, it's been so long since I've had you on the show. You know, I, you know we, we have did this together for quite a while. And, uh, you know, so, so let's just start from there. Like, why, what have you been doing in these past, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. So I, I, uh, I left Cisco a couple of years ago. I uh, went to a startup called Spectral Cloud. I am a uh, principal architect there supporting our um, uh, Kubernetes uh, management platform. So um, we have uh, kind of a, a unique take on what we're doing with Kubernetes management in terms of uh, multi-cloud. And when we say cloud, it could be your data center, it could be your public cloud. Uh, but additionally, we've recently in the last 18 months or so brought out a, a kind of a unique take on what we're doing with Edge. And that's been my focus. So um, bringing Kubernetes to the Edge, wherever that Edge may be for you. So first of all, let's start out with the, the, for the beginning of that. Kubernetes management, okay? So, so Kubernetes is a manager of containers. Mm -hmm. So why does Kubernetes need management? Yeah, so <laughs> I mean, like we used to talk about years ago was Kubernetes is a thing that, to your point, manages containers, but there's a lot of other things that need to be deployed with Kubernetes to make it interesting. Not just your application, but things to support your application. Whether that's uh, secrets management, whether that's uh, ingress, load balancing, security. I mean, there's a ton of uh, tools that people are all here at KubeCon to see and learn about that make Kubernetes interesting for your applications and then your applications layered on top. So when we say Kubernetes management, it's really about, I have more than one cluster several. I have many clouds in most cases, and those, and those clouds could be on-prem or uh, in a data center, uh, or I'm sorry, in a public cloud. But it's making them consistent. How do I make sure that what I'm using for secrets is configured the same way in Amazon as it is in Azure if I'm using both of those? Or how do I make sure that my thousand restaurant locations all have a consistent Kubernetes cluster with all of the certified or validated components that my business runs distributed out even or consistently in those locations. So you're saying Kubernetes is complex. Is that what it comes oh, to? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is not the, uh, hey, silver bullet that solves all of our problems. It certainly makes things uh, solvable, but it does take some work and some uh, know-how to make that, ha make that happen. And then again, when you're doing it repeatedly over and over in different locations, uh, how do you make that consistent? And our goal really around Kubernetes management is to do that. So what do you, how do you like uh, kind of, how do you evaluate in your mind like this, this kind of two different perspectives that uh, some people are like, okay, well, we just want to get ops everything. Mm -hmm. And then other people are like, I need someone to hold my hand to, to kind of, you know, bring you through that complexity of Kubernetes. How does, how does, how do you take care of both those things? Yeah, I think, I mean, we're seeing more and more in customers, um, they want to get to a streamlined sort of GitOps process. You want to get there. Mm -hmm. But it takes a lot of change, not just from the applications themselves, but also just within culture. And so as organizations are trying to make this shift, we've heard about this for years, the cultural challenge is very, very real. And especially in legacy 
what I'll call legacy organizations, organizations that have been around for a long period of time, mm -hmm. making that um, barrier removed from different parts of their business is really, really a bigger challenge than Kubernetes. <laughs> and Kubernetes doesn't really solve that. So what we look at is uh, taking newer application type deployments or newer projects that customers are working on and starting out that process there and saying, look, you need to do this a different way. Why don't we take this project that isn't impacting your legacy and uh, your legacy uh, applications or projects or whatever, and let's uh, transform those to be you know, more, uh, I guess, GitOps type. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, I do believe in the value of having like a nice graphical interface that could introduce you to things. But a lot of these companies, I'm not saying, you know, yours does this, but a lot of companies, what they do is they create this great graphical interface that gets you there. But then at some point you've learned a lot and you've evolved and you're looking to kind of get to that next step. And what a lot of these companies forget about is that we need an answer for that. So if you're like, if you're going to, if your end goal is GitOps, you should have a GitOps approach in GUI that you could then transform into like a text base when you want to go there. Because you need to have that advanced functionality, otherwise you're going to have a drop-off at some point yeah. because people are going to get too evolved for, for your app. Yeah, and I think the GUI, you know, you bring up a good point. I, a lot of us, when we want to go to a model like programmability or, or GitOps to your, at your point, you start out using the GUI. You go, how did I do these steps? What are the seven things I or ten things? Whatever the number of steps is to make a Kubernetes cluster the way I want it. And then you take that and go, all right, how can I turn this into code and use a, a, some type of tool to help me um, deploy that? So we, we did take this kind of approach first. We have an API approach, uh, API first model. Uh, we provide you with the API output of whatever action you're doing. So uh, to your point, how do I turn that into code? At the end of, let's say, building a Kubernetes cluster in our platform palette, you can get the output of what we're actually submitting as the API um, uh, payload to build that cluster for you. And then from there, you could variableize it and, and reuse it. And there are components that you guys have that are open source, too. Yep. So we have um, an open source project called Kairos that allows you to take any operating system and uh, immutabilize it. And what I mean by that is take it, turn it into a, a container image that can then be deployed at scale. And now it has this read-only file system. So when you think about Edge, and this is one of the things that makes our Edge solution unique, is that you have this operating system that now is read-only. Uh, the root file system component is, is read-only. And so when I deploy it to 1,000 locations, 10,000 locations, it's consistent. It's the same wherever it is. And people can't change it. No one can inadvertently log into it and say, like, apt install my super secret virus or whatever and change it. And, and there are sections that are read-write, but even those upon reboot are um, not persistent. So um, once the device reboots, and let's say, again, someone tries to install something that's malicious, uh, we, we then the device will reboot at some point, and when it does, that's gone. So we, we've really taken, I think, a security-first approach to this in the Edge especially, and Kairos enables us to do that. Yeah, I mean, that's, so that takes care of one of the problems that you have, and I, and I think that's a huge one, by the way, because, you know, a lot of people deploy things in containers and don't put the right feature sets on or don't, don't configure it properly or leave, leave you know, uh, admin privileges or whatever it might be, you know, uh, but, but, you know, that's, that's one aspect of it. The other aspect, though, that I, that I think that, you know, as an industry, everybody's still solving is, is kind of this supply chain area because, you know, you may have all the right stuff on there, 
you don't you don't think that it's it's you know dangerous, but then you find out that there was something in the supply chain that that mm-hmm. is now vulnerable. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's one of the other aspects that I think. Yeah. So you know, this idea of of, of uh, onboarding device onboarding is certainly a challenge that that a lot of folks are trying to solve. We take sure. a little. Uh, we take again. We're not providing hardware, so how do you get the supply chain from manufacturing of the physical hardware? And there's certainly um, some things out there that enable this. Uh, Fido is one to be able to, um, uh, you know, bring devices onboarded with certificate chaining throughout the process of from manufacturing. And if that manufacturing was handed off to a partner to, you know, flash with our image, the certificates are trusted through and through. And then the end when that device is plugged in. Um, comes online and talks out to our platform, that certificate has to be there that says, hey, this is a trusted device and the chain has to be there. So there are mechanisms to enable that type of thing. Yeah, yeah. So, so talk a little bit about Edge. You know, what are some of the things that you have to consider that are different from, from you know, just deploying something locally on a, on a data center or something like that? What are, what are in, in, in your world, what are the things that you're yeah. considering? So, you know, we've looked at it like four or five um, kind of, things we needed to solve for. Uh, one of them is that typically edge locations don't have Kubernetes experts installing these. No, you don't have one at every site? No, no. no. like the retail store <laughs> manager doesn't know what that should that be is. a requirement for right. any, for any yeah, good retail should, manager right, should, right. should have that skill set. <laughs> so you have that challenge of I'm de- deploying this to you know, thousands of locations potentially. That would mean either one, I need to roll a truck at some expense to install this thing. And that would include not only installation, but let's say something happens to the piece of hardware. I need to replace it. I've got to roll another truck. And that's just not really feasible for a lot of uh, folks. The second thing is um, the sheer scale. You talk about, oh, I deployed this in my house or as a, as a lab or I've got 10 clusters running. And that's really kind of easy to manage. But when you talk about 10,000 clusters and you have to be in compliance because some government regulation makes you patch within a certain period of time where you get fined, that becomes another issue. Like this, your scale of edge is just different. Um, you know, probably the one most often overlooked, especially, um, uh, you know, for, for those of us that have been around for a while, is that the internet is not always stable at these locations. Like they either, one could be an oil field in the middle of nowhere that's relying upon some type of microwave or 4G maybe potentially, if they're lucky or it's in a shopping mall that's still relying upon copper to deliver internet to the tenants. What's copper? Right, exactly. <laughs> I don't even know. <laughs> but, you know, those types of things, it becomes unstable. And so you need something that is going to survive an outage, whether that outage is for an hour or a minute or a day or a week. And so when we look at our clusters, the thing that um, really drove our architecture was the clusters need to be self-managed. So while we have the platform um, that, that, provides the blueprint or what we call profile of what a cluster should look like, all the components that you think you should put in your cluster and how they're configured. Once it's deployed, that profile is um, instantiated in in a custom resource that's in the Kubernetes cluster itself, and then it maintains it. So it's all about desired state, state management without any internet connectivity. So those three things are probably the biggest. Um, you know, one of the things that we've announced recently is this kind of dream we've had of a two-node high-available Kubernetes cluster. Everybody is 
kind of out there with, well, I need to have three nodes because, you know, etcd and Quorum and Raft and all these things, or I can use an off-box database, but again, at a retail location where I've got thousands of them, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, I could have some type of device that is an arbiter, but again, I need to survive an outage in the cloud, so if the arbiter is the cloud, that doesn't make sense. So it's really, how do we get to this, this world of, I need to have high available Kubernetes clusters at my edge, but I don't need more hardware to do it because it's not really a resource limitation. I'm simply adding that third node to have high availability. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, you know, I don't know that Kubernetes has really proven itself as an edge software stack. You know, there's still, when you look at the different edge solutions out there, and there are a lot, you know, some people have, have said, okay, we're just going to do Docker at the edge. Some people have said, we're going to do, I don't know, whatever else is out there, mm -hmm. you know. I, and so, so I, you know, I'm still not totally convinced that Kubernetes is the right solution for the edge, but people seem to want that, mm -hmm. but don't know why they want that. Too. Yeah, and I think the use cases are, to your point, are coming out, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. Um, you, you mentioned that running, like, Docker at the edge, and that is a, a very valid use case for a lot of, uh, especially industrial uh, uh, environments where yeah. the resources aren't nearly enough to support a Kubernetes node or cluster. And so I need to, but I do need to still have a container. Yep. Um, the, the idea behind having containers there is that I can provide this, as I mentioned before, there are a lot of regulations that have come out that force these industries to patch very quickly. Sure. And if they don't have a platform that allows them to do these patches in a fast manner and can support that, it becomes a very cumbersome process to imagine an oil company with thousands of well sites that needs to has a vulnerability in their you know whatever application they're running and they need to patch it because the government tells them to within two weeks how do they do that and and likewise though the use cases for say retail become uh, really kind of interesting in terms of what we're doing with AI and how that information being processed at the edge becomes really important Sure. Like I have people that walk through my store and I want to find their path. So it's best product yeah, placement, yeah, that course. kind of thing. Right. Yeah, yeah. And then in the, in the restaurant industry, um, we're seeing a lot in terms of taking away the mundane tasks that people are responsible for today. And I'll give you an example. Um, uh, there's certain things that have to happen in, in a, in a, uh, the exact amount of time, uh, for a restaurant to be able to process food. So, for example, they cook something. It's only allowed to sit out in a heat lamp for X period of time. Sure. And then um, it has to be thrown away. To, today in a lot of restaurants, that's like a little wall timer that an individual has to push. And let's say they have three or four or five different trays of food and which wall timer was on this tray. And it becomes really a task that... It's hard to keep up with in busy times, and they end up either wasting a lot of food because they err out of caution. Hey, I don't want to have food that's spoiled out yeah, yeah. for my customers. So taking that task and going, well, what if I could build an application that just did that? That's it. And then other groups within the organization go, well, I have some other interesting use cases. Like, can I monitor the, the people in the store? Can I do other things with my, uh, my devices, like my fryers, my ovens, my... Um, IOT sensors, anything that's in the in the restaurant themselves to better operate them to have more efficiency. And so these applications start to multiply and it doesn't make sense to run them in a VM because they're not that heavy. Sure. Uh, supporting that becomes really challenging. And it, so containers really do become the thing, oh, you know what, I can just build this little app that's monitoring the timer on my food and it can do 100 different trays without thinking about it uh, as a container. So those types of use cases we're seeing more and more, and I think to your point, more are gonna come out 
and the edge is going to become more um, Kubernetes-fied. Uh, <laughs> Kubernetes. Kubernetes. Yeah, Kubernetes. <laughs> um, but but you're going to see that more and more. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's a good point. And I and I, you know, when you think about it that way, then that makes total sense, you know. But I think a lot of people when they think of edge, or maybe this is maybe not a lot of people, maybe this is just me. When I think of edge, mm-hmm, sure. <laughs> you know, I'm thinking about like a sensor somewhere or mm-hmm. a, you know, a, something that's got just doing one job to, you know, kind of gather sensor data or something like that, which doesn't really need a lot. Um, but, yeah. you know, but you're right. I mean, there, when you start to think about the complexity of all those different things and, and what you could potentially do with it, then that does make sense. Yeah, and to your point, you, you do need to kind of define what is edge, right? You're, uh, you're right. I mean, a sensor could be edge. Yeah. Um, what we're seeing in our world is like, what is the thing that's closest to the application that makes sense for the data to be processed? And that typically, again, is, let's say, that store or that... Um, well site or whatever the location itself is but we do take that sensor information we see a lot of use cases where I have thousands of sensors that are monitoring things but I don't really want to punt all those to the cloud yeah and even if I did want to punt them all to the cloud sometimes they're in environments that don't have internet access right they they're in uh, factories where the factory floor is completely isolated from the internet and not able to send that. So yeah. where do I process it? Where do I do something with it that's interesting? And that's what we see is like, that's the edge. That that place that I can process the data and do something interesting with it. Yeah, I remember when I was working for a chemical company, there would be like regulations that the chemical company would have to like call, you know, mm-hmm. and the, the government, you know, certain times a, a week and send information yeah, about what's going exactly, on. You exactly, know? It's like exactly. food FDA, the food has to, you know, things have to go to the FDA. And, you know, and if they don't provide those reports, within it's a certain fine. amount of time, it's they fines and penalties. Absolutely. So you, you, they're looking for these, it's things that probably us normal people, I say normal, us uh, <laughs> I don't know people, yeah, right, I don't know if we are either, <laughs> but us, us that aren't in the industry every day, hearing it and, and, and feeling that pain, don't really think about, but this goes on and they have to provide it, as you mentioned, for government regulations or whatever. How do you do that in a better way? Yeah, no, that, that, that brings up an interesting point, you know, and it's, it's, it's so evolving now. I mean, you know, you look at the IoT space and every day there's something new and there's something, new applications and new, how do you keep up with all that? I mean, it's like. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think, I think a lot of it is hearing stories from customers that are trying to solve problems and then going, oh, I did hear about this thing at KubeCon that might do that. Like there's some interesting projects that are out there from, from other vendors who, who focus strictly on how do I onboard IoT devices. I can't put a Kubernetes cluster on it, but I want to treat that device um, as, a, as an object in Kubernetes. Yeah. And, and so bringing those kinds of technologies and saying, look, this might be interesting for you. Yeah. Um, seeing that is really one way, I, but you don't keep up with it. It's all. funny because uh, Neil Creswell is going to be on later on to talk about K2... K to D. K to D. There mm-hmm. you go. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. always forget what it's .io, yeah. which he took a different approach to it. Mm-hmm. He said, you know what? We're going we're gonna to talk like we're Kubernetes. Mm-hmm but we're going to act like we're Docker. Yep. <laughs> well, and you think about what is the goal of Kubernetes is to provide you with a common API to manage applications. That's really yep. what it is, right? Yep, absolutely. And so when you think about that project, it is to saying, well, look, Kubernetes makes sense. It's a very good API. What if I could just extend those, not for every feature, not for every function, but for the basic stuff. Yep. And then I have this kind of 
uh, IoT device that doesn't run Kubernetes because it doesn't have the resources, but it can run Docker. Yep. And then I can communicate with it and go, hey, deploy a pod to that thing. Yep. And now I can manage them in the very similar manner, right? That's one interesting project and one way to look at it for sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and I've seen, you know, even before that project, I've seen similar approaches where you have like, uh, what is it, the virtual kubelet and, mm -hmm. you know, all these other things that, that have kind of spawned because of that need. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think what we're seeing is some of these projects that's like like um, that spawned in a different way, maybe solve a different challenge that we yeah. that we tried to say. Oh wait, wait, can we shoehorn that in over here and make it do this too? And it really maybe makes sense in some cases, but a lot of cases it doesn't. It's really good at let's say uh, doing this. Why why not look at something else to do this other thing? I do worry about like some of those um, you know kind of. Uh, I don't know if you want to call them conversion layers or whatever they are, abstraction yeah, layers. Abstraction, because, yeah. because what happens is, is if, if one of those versions changes, like if Kubernetes changes a version and yep. then it doesn't make, it doesn't match that and it's trying to do something in Docker, you know, what happens at that point, you know? Yeah. And, and you gotta, you gotta worry about those a little bit. And, and that's a, that's a very good point. The abstractions often become the lowest common denominator, yep. right? When you build an API to manage something else, you're only building that API to manage that thing at the version that you built it for. Yeah. And that thing changes, then you got to update your API and you got to, you know, and it does become hard kind of a chasing your tail to be able to keep up with those. But I also think then some of those industries that have that need, they're not the, hey, let's go to the latest and greatest version of Kubernetes the day it's released kind of groups right there. And, and Kubernetes itself, the community does a very good job of, you know, deprecation of APIs and changing and they keep, they keep the, us very well informed. I think we won't have as big a problem there, but I think that also there's other ways to potentially solve that challenge that might be more interesting, um, especially when we're talking about limited resource environments. Yeah, and that's the key there. I mean, I think the key is that would it, why why have these solutions popped up? And and a lot of the reason is, as you said, limited resource environments. Some of these are conversions to to traditional mm -hmm. environments that might be VMs or things like that, but that you want to manage as you know. And, and it really it really says a lot to the power of the Kubernetes API because people want to convert their other environments to use that same environment. Yep. I want to manage it the same way. And it goes back to what you talked about at the very beginning in terms of this, I want to make things in a, as GitOpsy as possible. I want to be able to build a consistent way to deploy my application, whether that application runs in a VM, okay, so we can put it on top of Kubernetes um, if we need to. Uh, or that application runs in a, in the case of K2D and, and a Docker container that's just going to run on some, you know, PLC device uh, out there, programmable logic controller. Um, it doesn't matter. I want to manage it and I want to use my GitOps pipeline to be able to s support that end to end. I think the other component of, and you started this off early with talking about GitOps and yes, people make beautiful uh, GUIs. I, I also think at the edge, it is a, is a very big challenge that the GUI is a very powerful thing if you can show it in a meaningful way. And what I mean by that is I've got 10,000 clusters. It is nice to see a quick graphical representation of what is the health of my environment and how are things running. If I'm doing some operation like I'm upgrading those clusters and I want to have upgrade, upgrade groups that are doing like canary type upgrade deployments and I can see that rolling across my map, let's say. That kind of workflow is, is what an operations team really would love to see. They want to enable those things by saying like a GitOps pipeline. 
I want to be able to make those changes and upgrade my clusters. But the visualization side is a very powerful tool. And you know, to be honest, like one of the comp one of the things that that is done it very well is Meraki. Yeah. Right? You look at the Meraki dashboard and you go, "Wow, this is great." And if if you haven't seen that in terms of like scale, a number of switches across many many locations, it's very pretty and. Yeah. As an operator, I look at that and go, oh, look, this clip switches down. This is not how, you know, yep. you get information quickly. What we uh, don't want to do is just show information for the sake of showing information. Yeah, yeah, right. absolutely. I do think one of the other aspects of Edge, though, is, is how you manage applications. Because people have different needs with Edge. Mm -hmm. Like if you're somebody who I used to work, you know, as I said, in a chemical company. So... We had DCS systems, the distributed control systems, okay. and those distributed control systems would operate the factory. And but different people within the factory would need different apps, and they want the power and flexibility to ask for the apps that they want. So you need to have kind of two, a two scale approach. One is that you need the capability for to globally push those apps to the edge, but then you also need the capability for somebody to request that app. You know, and pull it down in those cases because they they want they don't want to lose that control. Yeah, and I think there's kind of an abstraction there as well. Um, you know, what what we provide is a mechanism to build, as I mentioned, um, profiles. That profile could be your application, uh, could be a set of applications. We use uh, oftentimes, uh, you know, this. Uh, I was talking with a customer yesterday, and uh, they have a need where some companies um, we deploy they deploy a Kubernetes cluster at their location, and they, to your point, request every application they have, right? They get everything because they're like the premium package. But the smaller business that only needs a subset of that, they have like the bronze level and they select. And so when they deploy their profile, it is the, like the premium package is a profile and has every application that's there. And the bronze level is a profile and it only has like three or four, right? So being able to kind of carve that up, the abstraction layer comes in with how do I get people to self-service? How do I get somebody who's on the factory floor and you know, receiving as an example, to be able to say, I only need these two things or, and, and that's kind of, I think we look at, there's probably some other projects out there that help abstract that a bit. It's funny because as soon as you said premium package, I have this vision of like Comcast or Fios where you're like, <laughs> yeah. you're, you're deciding what you want and you always go for that premium one that has like all the HBOs, all the Cinemax, all the- That you never watch. <laughs> you never watch any no, of it, no. but you pay for it. Yeah. <laughs> I think uh, I'm watching, I, I, every day I turn on uh, HBO or like flip through the channels and um, uh, Roadhouse is on like every day. It's, I mean, every day. And I joke with my wife and say like, hey, look, Roadhouse, we're gonna watch this. I love Roadhouse. Uh, yeah, don't get me wrong, but it's on every day, uh, like two, three times a day. Yeah. And it's kind of, you know, to your point, it's, do I need this, you know? Yep. But it's- And it's, it's almost the same thing, you know, I kid about it, but that's, it's kind of like, it's a great analogy mm -hmm. because do you need all these things or do you just need the HBO or do you just need Netflix? Maybe you don't need any of that. Right, well, then it becomes the thing though, I want it that one day. Oh, they've got a movie that my kids want to watch. Yep. And I want to turn on that one day. So then you go back and I'm not subscribed to the premium tax. You know what? I'm going to upgrade just for today. Yep. And so going to your analogy, though, with, yeah. the, with the person who needs to have everything, they probably in their mind look through an app list and go, I do need all of these, but I only need this one, like, yep. you know, at the end of the year to run my reporting or whatever it is. And that's one of the areas where I think Kubernetes, again, managing your applications like an API can really solve those problems on demand kind of in a kind of way. I think, it, I think it becomes interesting. So who, going back to this, who do you see, like what segments do you see going to edge? What, what you know, who, obviously retail mm -hmm. is, is big. I could see manufacturing or, mm -hmm. you know, chemical, all these kinds of things, but 
who you know what what is the primary that you're seeing so i'll answer it two ways one in a generalistic way it's anybody that needs to have as i mentioned their their decision or they need to process data or they need to do something interesting with the information they have as close to the, where the information is and that does hit all those industries so oil and gas well sites um, manufacturing factory floors uh, retail course the the stores themselves but also distribution centers mm-hmm. um, uh, restaurant industry whether it's a you know sit down uh, restaurant or, or fast food same thing they have a need for it because they want to have information um, I don't know that any any industry is like safe I think yeah, yeah. that I think they all now again it does go where do you define edge Right? Uh, is your car an edge device? I would assume it is. Yes, it is. It has a lot of yeah, information. Yeah. It needs to process. Especially it. if it's like a smart car like Tesla or mm-hmm. something like that. Obviously, that is definitely an edge device. Right. But then also your house. Yeah. Think about uh, you, you, you put in a solar roof and you want to be able to have control over when do I store power versus when do I sell it back to the uh, electric car. I mean, I'll even go to it. I just did, uh, you know, begrudgingly, I just put in a new kitchen okay. and we got new new appliances, you know. So it's all, it's all Samsung. Mm-hmm. And the first thing you do is Wi-Fi connect mm-hmm. and it shows up in the smart things mm-hmm. app now. Yeah. You know, yeah. I'm like, I don't need this really. <laughs> I don't know why. I would really I will, the only thing that, uh, that, that I use that's really useful is it tells you when the refrigerator door. That, that's the only thing I would, because I've actually been away and I'm like I, I call and, I, I t- and yeah. I'll be like I'll be like yeah you know you left the fridge yep. door open I do the same thing I'm like I know honey fridge door close it please so that's what but but again that's a piece of information that if you could somehow take that and like tie it in with your smart home Alexa or Google whatever you're using and have it notify you right that's an action that'd be interesting so it does become an edge location. And I think, I think really it could be anywhere. The devices, to your point, are what vary. And um, your, your smartphone is an edge device. The lights in this room are probably edge devices. But they're not devices that we're looking to put Kubernetes onto because we're looking to take the information that that device or your smartphone or whatever else has and process it close, to it, close enough to it to do something meaningful. Yeah, I mean, even just right before this, we were talking about how, you know, I use DaVinci Resolve and I use my my phone and now I can cloud upload. So it's processing the stuff mm-hmm. that it has on my phone. It's going to use that cloud mm-hmm. and then it's going to it's going to appear magically. It's going to. Yep. <laughs> and what would happen right now if the Internet went off? It would, yeah. it would store it locally. It would store it locally. Right. And then when the Internet comes back on, it yep. would push it back up. And Absolutely. that's the that type of scenario is exactly what we're doing but say for retail or say for yep. factories, you know, that, that have that kind of challenge where if the internet was to go down and it does go down, yep. how do I survive? Yeah, and the, and the thing is, is this actually added value. It mm-hmm. added value to me because it makes it faster for me to edit now and it makes it, so, so you know, all this stuff really when it comes down to it, it's what does the application need and what is that add value that it's gonna give yes. you? And, and how do you manage it in a way that's not gonna make your, turn your life upside down? Yes, that's exactly, the, the, we have seen customers after customer who um, uh, are doing it as roll your own and they have a series of scripts. And what, they found, what we found is like the day zero isn't as big a challenge. I mean, it is to some degree, but a lot of them are staging it in like their, fa- their uh, lab and then shipping it to the location, right? Um, so they've mocked their lab up to have the same network kind of scheme because IP addresses changes are kind of painful. And they do, they deploy a Kubernetes cluster and they box it back up on a, like some Intel nooks and they box it back up and they ship it to the location. And then someone there unplugs it and they give them like stickers, plug the blue cable, <laughs> you know, like they tell them. 
and then they power it on and they, that cluster is there and ready to go. The challenge is what happens whenever they need to replace a node. Yep. They don't really have a very good process for that. What happens when they need to do an upgrade? They don't upgrade. They upgrade the application, that's different. But the infrastructure, the Kubernetes bits, a lot of the components that I mentioned earlier that make your Kubernetes cluster meaningful to make your application run, they upgrade those things. But they don't upgrade, um, I'm sorry, they don't upgrade those things. They upgrade their application, they don't upgrade the yeah, things yeah. that are part of the infrastructure. How do you do that at scale? Yeah. And that's the problem that we looked at and said, hey, we're, we're solving it like this. Kairos gives us the ability to, uh, again, take any operating system and make it immutable. And then now we have this um, uh, read-only file system with A and B partitions that we can do upgrades. It's very familiar to some of the older, maybe like CoreOS or uh, um, Flatcar or some others. But the idea is that we're not telling you to use that upgrading system. You like Ubuntu, you love Canonical, fantastic, use Ubuntu. You, you're a rail shop and you've got rail licensing, you've got support through Red Hat, fantastic, use that instead. Right? So we're giving you the ability to take what you already know and again, immutabilize it and then put it out at your edge. And I think it gives, giving that customer choice is what's really important. That's really, that's really, really cool. So we are at KubeCon. What is it that interests you here? What is it that's... that's uh... Uh, well, you know, every year there's always like, I, I try and pick out a theme and, and every year... <laughs> what like, is the theme this year? I feel like it's video games. Yeah? yeah I mean, every <laughs> booth has video games. I've seen Pac-Man and like uh, Space Invaders and I mean, it's all over the place. And uh, I think video games, I don't remember seeing that last year at KubeCon in that manner. So I try and pick out, that's what interests me. I'm like walking by and I want to play every game that's out there, you know. Um, but there are other things. I think technology-wise, um, some things that, I mean, AI, of course, is, is the buzzy word probably this year. Yep, of um, We were at Edge Day yesterday. It was quite busy, busier than last year's Edge Day, busier than Edge Day in Europe. And so it was very uh, interesting, very good conversations. Um, WebAssembly yeah. uh, certainly is something that's out there and, and one of the use cases around I want to deploy a, an application onto this little bitty box. Yep. WebAssembly also becomes very interesting there as well. Yep. Um, so I think there's things like that that I'm, I'm probably going to try and learn more about. Uh, it's interesting though, every KubeCon I, I kind of find what is like just by talking to guests on the show, mm -hmm. what was most talked about you know, during this KubeCon. I remember like a couple years ago it was EBPF and that was yep. like huge. EBPF was everywhere. Then the next KubeCon it was like WebAssembly. Yep. Everything was WebAssembly. <laughs> and yep. then so I'm trying to figure out what the theme is well, for this if, one. If like, you think it, yeah, if you think last year, right around this time, right, Chat GPT became yeah. uh, open and people could you could go and use it. And that was the buzz, right? All yep. right, oh my gosh, AI is gonna revolutionize all this stuff. So now we have a KubeCon that that is right behind it a year later. That's probably the big topic. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of aggregate. Yeah, it yeah, yeah, exactly. And figure out like like what is. Yeah, but the, but the, but is the fun part? Video games. Video games. Video games. If you I, walk I, around the show floor, I I bet you you can't not look at a booth. I mean, not everyone has a video game, but there are booths around the booth. I'm sure have. we you know at Outshift we probably have one because we usually do one at the booth. So okay. I'm, I'm assuming that we do. I haven't I haven't actually I've been in a room they put baby in a corner. Oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah right. <laughs> You're in a very far corner too by the way. <laughs> yeah yeah it's definitely I think video games are the, what I I see around. Yeah yeah. All right well great. I mean it, it's 
obviously it's it's amazing to have you back on here it's been way too long yeah yeah (laughs) hopefully uh we'll be able to do it again yeah yeah. maybe a year from now we'll see where yeah yeah. we'll see uh we'll get a a gauge on what you thought was the yeah then we could see if if it was right or not exactly who was right and who was (laughs) right well thanks again for coming back on appreciate it thanks mike all right all right see you